0: Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, welcome back. My name is Michael Drysdale and this is another episode of The Network. This one is with the one and only Mr. Dave Clare, author of Simplified. Dave is a leader for a new generation of leaders. He is also an award-winning coach, sales leader, trainer and dynamic keynote speaker. After authoring and developing his own training programs, Dave has turned his passion for purpose-driven leadership into his first book simplified leadership is simple you lead people (laughs) that's the title of the book which i love Uh, the foundation of dave's philosophies have come from synergizing decades of practical leadership experience and learning from grassroots leaders who shaped his life He has found the way to simplify leadership to improve employee management empowerment and inspiration with this book dave has started a movement to create and inspire 90 million purpose-driven leaders that's a big goal (laughs) (laughs) big (laughs) goal yeah Uh, and it's uh, interesting i kind of wanted to start the podcast today in a bit of a funky way we i've got to admit something to you guys i got a little bit greedy uh with dave here and and spent like half an hour talking to him about my own stuff which means that you have less time on the pod but uh we're still out here to solve somebody's problem so my first question to you today with yours and my powers combined whose problem are we solving today and what's the problem that's a great question
1: actually uh i think we're solving the world's problem in terms of uh uh, the people who listen to your podcast probably the (laughs) best ones to start with right yeah if we take care of the people who uh value your time and uh, give their time to listen to the information you share to the world Mm. we should be working on what we can do to help solve their problem yeah and and i think once and to me in, in any time we're solving any problem in in when i as you know, Mike, when I talk about our world or the world, it's your world. It's how you perceive the world. It doesn't have to be the whole world. But when we impact our world, we change the world. Mm.
0: Well, because exactly. And, we, and, and it can be a little bit intimidating, right? I actually had this conversation with somebody mm. last night when I was walking, working through mm. some of your exercises that ask you to speak to your friends. And yep. they said, you said the world. That's very intimidating. And I was like, sorry, yeah, or, or your world, or your yeah. world. Because uh, the thing is, is I had this thought the other day, and I'm I'm definitely going to do some content on this at some point. But one of the things that I think is really interesting is we've just gone through this massive digital revolution, right? Yes. Over the last decade and a half. We're still going through it, I think. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But (laughs) I think in in response to that, uh, even more so, what we're on the precipice of right now is an in-real-life revolution. Uh, because we've been going through this digital revolution for so long people are starting to realize that the internet was this big sexy thing that could connect us with anyone on the planet Mm. and so we were trying to connect with the whole planet yes when actually we should have been using the internet to connect with our neighbor the entire time yeah great great
1: perspective yeah without a doubt yeah it's when you think yeah i've never looked at it like that that's but that's a fascinating way to look at and so true is yeah we we spend some time to connect with people so far away from us yeah. that we're ignoring the people right around us
0: yeah and in and in fact it's such an amazing tool for for local communities for people that are, are literally living next door to you when i uh lived in sydney i i was just on the verge of moving back here. And I started something called Perth Critical Role Community, which is Mm. a a fan of people of a Dungeons and Dragons show on YouTube and Twitch. Yep. (laughs) And uh, I I created that when I moved back here and there were 20 people or something that joined the group pretty much immediately because I I used another larger Australian group as a calling out tool. And uh, we've done six or seven meetups now in person from you, like meeting people directly from the internet, exactly what your parents told you not to do when you were a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and each of those meetups average around about twenty people now, and the the friendships that have been formed, the real relationships that have been formed off of the internet, and people have gotten together, is just kind of fascinating. Um, and it, and again, it's that it's that tool of like, why was I trying to you know why was i trying to build up this massive following in america and england when you know it's like actually you can impact the lives of the people around you right here
1: yeah it's fascinating because you know what i think before the internet or we really start to embrace it we never thought it would be possible to connect with mm-hmm. the world uh and so therefore when we had the opportunity to we decided to do that but we've it's kind of like you know dorothy and the wizard of oz you always had the power to go home you, know, you just click your heels three <laughs> times and just say, "I wish I was home." I wish I was home. And you could, we've always had the power to connect locally, yep. but we just never used it. And then we saw this big thing. It's you know, it's what a wonderful opportunity for us to connect with the world. Uh, I, I've worked with a few people in uh, you know web development and various other things, um, and and just people seeking to get their businesses online who have never really thought about having it online in this hyper-connected world we're in now. And I said, the fascinating part, which might be what you're talking about in terms of connecting with the world is that we now have the opportunity to not only take our business to the world but bring the world to our business
2: Hmm.
1: so instead of you know what sometimes we're always thinking about how do we reach out to how do we bring those people to us Hmm. rather than us trying to get out to them yeah um and so that we can bring them back here and then everybody locally can benefit from from that, because once they realize that, hey, uh, people across the pond, there's 7 billion people across the pond from here in Australia, mm-hmm. that if we could bring some of those people to Australia, and to see what's happening here locally, mm-hmm. um, and as well as supporting what's going on locally, or, or we're connecting with those people who are local to us, um, we, we could actually have, a, you know, a, a, an expanded community. So it's kind of like a blend of the two. So to me, I look at it, as like, okay, yeah, we've all gone out to the world instead of connecting locally but what if we could bring the world to us locally
0: yeah and and so i mean you're talking about attraction model marketing in some ways there or oh
1: potentially i mean yeah. you look at right now what's happening in australian business and stuff like that we've mm-hmm. got uh you know um costco are looking to come to australia mm-hmm. right we're looking at amazon coming to australia or they're already here basically you know the whole amazon go and yeah. everything like that and all the local big people have done extremely well in the australian market um, are there now just saying, oh, no, it's not fair. They're taking our jobs. The profits, leaving and all that. And we're, we're all challenged by these people coming here. Mm. Uh, and so we've attracted that here. But why are they coming here? Because there's opportunity here. right? And so instead of attacking them for it, this is like the flip side of it now. It's like, why are we not going there and bringing that back to us? Yeah, sure. We're so we're, we're trying to stop them from coming here. When we we've opened it all up, mm. uh, and, and instead of so we're attacking the wrong problem here, you know, like this whole thing about this connectivity is just fascinating to me. It's why I'm, your perspective on it was really like mind blowing, and just very quickly there, I'm like <laughs> it stopped me in tracks for a second. never thought about it like that. Um, but I'm all about bringing it here and taking it there and sharing, mm. you know, in that sense. But then, but to the benefit of local economy, because yeah. right now all these people coming here are to the detriment of local economy. Because there's not many jobs or they're removing all the, all the you know what and all the profits are going out well what if we go and bring take our stuff to them and bring that money back here and then support local businesses here and the, it, like it's just there's so many different um possibilities now mm-hmm. and and this is like uh, certainly in the keynotes that i do around the country is like i talk about this uncertainty and mm-hmm. you know um before everything used to be predictable and you know even though we didn't take advantage of something like that ability to always serve local and talk to local people and connect with people locally and all that um but there's all this predictability has gone out the window but the exciting part is there's no opportunity in predictability
2: yeah
0: yeah there's
1: no opportunity in predictability but there's opportunity in uncertainty
0: well that makes me think about the idea that you know if it if it ain't broke don't fix it has sent more um businesses into bankruptcy it sent them to being broke other, yeah exactly any other statement in history right yeah. and it's in it's mentioned in your book but the the idea of you know Kodak and Blockbuster and and all of this stuff and now
1: Sears and Toys R Us and
0: Massive. They they never looked at their business model. They said, "Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it." It's Mm. it's it's producing profit. It's it's delivering value to shareholders, which, as Mm. you say, is is and rightly so, is one of the kind of most evil phrases that somebody can utter in business. (laughs) Um, But the you talk about the idea that if these businesses were more connected to their purpose, uh, Mm. that they would have iterated and changed. And it's something that I've uh, heard as well multiple times on this podcast, particularly. From Tyler Spooner, uh, I loved the conversation that I had with him now around UnoCart, it was called Feed Me back then, but it's UnoCart now, mm. where I say, the thing about you that, and that, that gives you so much get up and go and, and make, means that you never fall off, you're always on the, the cutting edge, is you're in love with the problem, you're not in love with your solution. Great. And I think so often when people are working in, in for-profit businesses, sometimes they can fall in love with their solution.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because what the, and all those other big businesses that are now either having massive loss of earnings or actually going into bankruptcy or gone already, um, is they were so focused on how they make money, mm-hmm. not why they make money. And why they make money is solving problems for customers. So the more focused you are on that, and how do, how do we continue that? Because how you solve it today and what you do to solve it will change and can and In will definitely. change. It's changed over the years. But why won't change? And this is like when you look at... Uh, you know, you're know, you talking about these ones I talk about in the book. Uh, it's what I call, th- there's a tipping point in a business, especially as it grows and scales. And that when the business starts to worry about organizing the business to the benefit of the shareholders instead of the business of the organization, it's like shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. Mm. You just, you're just you going under, you don't realize, you're doing all this stuff. You're, you're reorganizing the business to say, how do we drive more shareholder value? Mm. Rather than saying, how do we deliver more value to our customers? And through that, our shareholders will benefit anyway.
0: Yes. Well, so you you missed a step there that is in your book that I found fascinating. You said... Um, what if we change the idea of delivering value to shareholders to delivering value to our employees, mm. so that they would therefore deliver value to customers? Yes, I found that really fascinating because you didn't really elaborate it on on it in the book. I mean, I could read between the lines mm. into in earlier chapters and things mm. like that. But what is delivering value as as a as a boss, as a creator, yeah. as a founder? What does delivering value to employees look like?
1: Well, firstly, uh, your customers, your first customers as a founder or a boss or an employer, a leader, I don't care what you are, whatever title you want to give yourself yeah. <laughs> is your customer, sorry, your first customers are your employees. Mm. So how can you add more value to their lives? Because the more value they receive, like they believe in you, this, you know, the premise of the book actually is yes. the three things, um, which we'll happy to talk about. In a moment. Mm. the They are your first customers. Because if you treat them like customers, and then they love, fall in love with why you do what your you know, your, your business exists, they then become brand advocates yes. for your business. And then when they're fully engaged and fully love with why you do what you do in the business, they are in love with why they do what they do in that business. Mm-hmm. Then how do you think the customers are going to feel
2: mm.
1: if you are all these amazing people who are so in love with the work that they're doing that people just want like what is it you're doing that is, is, you're so passionate and excited about it. let me know I want to it. it's like a magnet mm-hmm. right and magn- magnets can appel and or um, sort of repel or attract right so that's why I always say culture is the ultimate filter for talent because it acts as a magnet we can magnetize people we can always repel things away from us that we don't want mm. that don't fit with our culture so you don't have to have, you get those people who may want to be customers, but they're not the right customers for your organization or mm-hmm. the right employees. But, you know, to the thing is, yeah, it, how do you add value to your employees? You find out what's really meaningful, what success means in their lives, and show them how they can get some of that, if not all of that, through doing amazing work with you in your organization, with the amazing work that your organization does. Yeah, And they feel totally fulfilled by that while they're in your care and beyond, as you know my the concept of leadership, which is um, helping people become the best versions of themselves mm-hmm. so they can do their life's best work while mm-hmm. in your care and beyond. Yeah. Um, and so that's how you add value to them is by demonstrating leadership and helping them become the best versions of them. And that's what we should be doing for our customers. Mm-hmm. So if we do that for our employees, our first customers, and then they do that for our customers, you know, um, so basically your customers' customers, mm-hmm then what you're doing is they're sitting there, how can we make our customers the best version of themselves so they can have whatever it is they want, the best life that they want, mm-hmm. while they're customers of ours and beyond. Yeah. So we've set them up, whatever product or solutions that we have currently, we'll solve their why, and then in the future if that changes, we'll still solve that why, but how we might do it and what we might do are totally different going forward, but we're still gonna be there to add that value to their lives. Same principle applies to your employees.
0: I really like that. What do you think about the concept of redundancy? Um, in the sense that like I've, I've had this conversation with people before where I've said, um, you know, and I, and I think as well as delivering this digital strategy or mm. this marketing strategy, because some of the work that I do is in, as a, a, st- a con- creative strategic consultant, mm. yep. um, as well as delivering this strategy, mm. I think we should teach them everything that they need to do to do this themselves uh, without our help. And sometimes the people that I've worked with have gone no, we can't do that because then we'll be redundant. Um, Mm. And I say, well, no, even when you've taught somebody everything that they know, they're still going to come back to you because they're going to try it themselves, they're going to fail, and then they're going to go, you know what, you were the one that taught me, so you're the one that I think is the expert, so I want you to do the work. Mm. Um, Or I just don't have time to do it myself or any number of things. But um, that idea I really like in your leadership Mm. premise that you've just said there is that uh, while they're in my care and beyond, I think so often in workplaces, people want to do it while they're in their care for sure but they actually there's this real fear of like oh i don't want you to be i don't want you to have all the secrets when you go
1: (laughs) yeah no and and once again that just concept fascinates me (laughs) in its own right because in my mind it it, it's um it's a selfish thing to sit there and think I, i don't want them to you know, if, uh, if, if I show them stuff and they leave, you know, the, the old adage, you know, what, you know, what if you don't train them stuff and they stay, you know, but, <laughs> but to me, it, it's not even anything to do with that. It's like, if you don't wish the best for that person yeah. in the long run, that means you just want to take advantage of them, do whatever I can to help you while you're here, but only to, because I'm doing it for my own personal motives, hmm. not because I really care about you as a human being and seeing you succeed to the highest level. And if that means that it's one year with us or two years with us in our organization or whatever, and I've set you up for success, mm. not just to succeed here, that's what makes me happy. It's like the, I think we should celebrate when people leave organizations mm-hmm. for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, Hey, I found this other amazing opportunity because of the work that, I've, you know, that, uh, that I was willing to help with that person to, so they could do their life's best work and help them become the best version of themselves. They've then gone on to something amazing. Mm. We should celebrate them leaving. And you know, because one day, this is all like, if you ever leave, you're never coming back, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, <laughs> what is that about? You know, it's, <laughs> well, that person might go away for a few years and come back with a whole bunch of new skill sets and develop and, and continue to do their life's best work somewhere else to bring that life's best work back to your organization.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and, and, and in the world that we're in today, that's what we need to be looking at is you know helping people move into what it is. And this is even when people who don't want to be in your organization, who very clearly don't like where the organization's going into the future. Yeah, right. You know, I talk a lot about the paradox of success is what got you to here won't get you to there. Yep. And that can include not only systems, processes, procedures, product services, but also the people. Mm. Um, so if all of a sudden you, you realize you have this new, you rediscovered some sense of purpose and a new vision for the world or whatever, and you've re- redefined your culture and the, and those people who helped get you to where you are today may go, I'm not interested in being a part of that. Yep. That's okay. Mm. doesn't make them bad people. Thank you so much for helping us get to here. Yeah. How can I help you find what it is you would like if this is not what you'd like to do? Mm. And that's when you talk about really caring about people, not caring about someone who's an employee. Yeah. And I think this is what the difference is. Like I care about people, not only while they're employed with our organization, but them as people in terms of their long-term success. Mm-hmm. And if that's not with us, then that's okay. I appreciate As long as they're doing their life's best work or I'm helping to do the, the best work that they can do while they're with us, the organization and our customers are going to win anyway.
0: Yeah. I think that's totally true, and I think that what 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 happens is is that it's so it's so much simpler to in in a lot of people's mind to deliver value to shareholders because you just give them money. What's well, a it's simple a, metric? It's an easy value. It's a very tangible line. metric. Exactly. This is the
1: value here. This is the value there. We've given more value.
0: Yeah, but in terms of uh, delivering value to employees, then it's about it's it's about Giving them more meaning in their lives. It's about developing them as leaders. It's about developing their skills and things like that. And so, you know, yeah.
1: And and once again, that's sometimes it's it's not as much as a tangible metric. There's tangibles you can put to it, Mm -hmm. but the ultimate is how the person feels. You Mm -hmm. know, and about themselves and their confidence and their self-image, and we've expanded their self-image and their comfort zone, and they can take more on in life. But that's sometimes very hard to measure other than feedback from those individuals. And sometimes you won't get that feedback, like I'm having returned back to Perth now, I haven't been away for 10 years and, and more, and then I'd walk down the street of the city and all of a sudden I'd bump into somebody. Like when I actually came back from Canada, uh, and I was actually up in Geraldton, West Australia, right, so 400 kilometers north here. I'm sitting there, I'm sitting down having a meal, and, and somebody, this young lady walks in, I guess she's not as young now, but she was, when I <laughs> that, I'd, that worked in one of my teams 20 yeah. years ago, walked in and said, oh my God, Dave, Claire. And they came up gave me a big hug yep. and said, you're the best leader I ever had a chance to work with. Nobody ever believed in me like you did. And now I'm off doing these things. And it's just like 20 years later, I got the measure.
0: Mm, so good.
1: Yeah, but I didn't do it to, to get it for me. It was just wonderful to receive the feedback. But that feedback loop didn't close for twenty years.
0: Let's talk about that magical three, which is a concept mm. that you bring up in the book that I love. Mm. You can you can do it for okay, us. You, sure. You do it better than me. <laughs> yeah. So the
1: whole premise of Simplified as a book is is in, when I say leadership is simple, you lead people. Uh, because I think what a, a lot of what uh, we call leadership today is actually just modern management mm. And I think you know um, my philosophy that leadership is actually broken right now It's in crisis mode all around the world um, with disengagement rates going on the all-time high and we're spending 50 billion dollars mm. Trying to make leaders better. Mm. I mean geez here in Australia. We've had six prime ministers in the last eight years So let's not even <laughs> get into that okay We'll leave that one totally aside, <laughs> yeah. but you know politics government businesses. It doesn't matter. it's it's, mm. it's a... But if we get back to the pure essence of leadership and that, and that is about leading people, all you need to do then is understand people. And I believe there's three fundamental things that people want. And the first thing is, they want something to believe in. I want my life to have a sense of meaning,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Uh, everyone wants their lives to be more meaningful. I don't care whether you're a baby boomer or a Gen Z or whatever, everyone's looking it on some end of the spectrum, um, some sense of meaning in their lives. Yeah. So the first thing is, they want something to believe in. Mm-hmm. And that is why an organization should have a purpose. Because the purpose is that. It's the sense of why our business exists. Nobody gets out of bed in the morning, Mike, to go, geez, I can't wait to make you rich today. Right? but I'll jump out of bed because I'm here to solve this problem in the world and I'm really passionate about mm. it and this is what our organization does and here's what my role is in fulfilling that and within this organization mm. that'll get them out of bed so they need a sense of purpose which is something to believe in then they need someone who believes in them I think everybody also gets out of bed wants to be respected and trusted and, and you know empowered to make decisions and things like that because we pay people to show up to work you know you're paid to work not to think and mm. I say well you know what I would rather pay you to think and while you're here if you could do some work that'd be awesome yeah you know cuz going forward if there's just work that's being done we can automate
0: that that's we talk best. about redundancy
1: yeah right but people want someone who believes in them that means the leader needs to have uh, you know, a core shared value system, like unique thinking of the organization, which we can empower and coach those people to make better decisions in alignment mm. with the unique thinking of our organization to fulfill that purpose. Mm. And so that's about helping build trust within those people so that they can take on more responsibility. And with that responsibility comes freedom to think, freedom to think creates creativity. Creativity is the key to innovation mm-hmm. and organizations. If you're not innovating today, it's innovate or die. Yeah right? Uh, innovation used to be a little funky thing in the past, but now I guess what in this uncertain world is that? So if we don't give, uh, show them that we believe in them, mm. so I've got something to believe in and someone who believes in me. And we do that for the values. We've got purpose and values. And the last thing they're looking for is someone I can believe in, mm-hmm. which is the leader. Do, does that leader have a vision of the world that's far bigger than all of us combined? Something that's really inspirational in terms yeah. of, you know, this is our purpose in the world. We, and when we live that purpose through these values, this is the world we're going to create in 20 or 30 years from now. That, that big altruistic. So we know we're having, like in the world, once again, as you know, I talk about it, it could be your world. It doesn't have to be the world. Yeah. But when we're looking at what our, our world is, our world is going to look like this in 20 years' time. Mm. Uh, that will impact the world. So they want something to believe in, someone who believes in them, and someone they can believe in. And if you can provide those three things, which is just having your purpose, values, and vision in your organization, not just as marketing placards, but tools you actually use to engage, empower, and inspire your people, really, if you just did those three things really well, based on the Pareto principle, those, that's 20% of the stuff that you would do, you'd produce 80% shift in the results of your organization. Massive. Because you're actually caring about people. And that really embraces then the definition of leadership, which is then helping them do their life's best work. Well, in your care and beyond i love that <clears throat> i mean that's how simple it can be that's leadership at its purest
0: yeah and, and that could be literally the entire conversation that we have today and there'd be so much to think about and so much to chew on just there mm. but um speaking specifically as well when you talk about the values right when you talk about um, people uh wanting someone to believe in them you think about the opposite of that in business that is so often um, manifested in micromanagement, right? Mm. Nothing says I don't believe in you. Nothing says that I don't trust you more than micromanagement. Somebody leaning over your shoulder at every point and saying, um, are you doing it right? Are you doing it right? Mm. Are you doing it right? Uh, you talk about um, that uh, in, in the book in terms of uh, trust but verify. Yes. And is that, um, I mean, uh, that, that reminded me of a concept uh, in uh extreme ownership a book by jocko Willink. yeah yeah great book love that book yeah where he talks about leading up and down the chain of command yes where somebody um and and i know that you don't uh, espouse vertical leadership but no. somebody uh, at the bottom of the chain of the command goes to the person above them on the chain of command and goes i'm going to do this mm-hmm. and then that person goes cool yep. or have you thought about this or whatever? But they don't come with a "Can I do this or can I do that?" They come yeah. with a solution, and a, and a, and and then you're able to verify it as a leader.
1: Yep. Yeah. So trust but verified to me, and, and a lot of people, it sounds like a bit like an oxymoron or a, you know mm-hmm. contradictory statement in its own right. Um, but h- how do you establish trust? It's earned. Yeah. Right. You have to earn trust. Yeah. You can give as much trust at the very beginning as you like, and then take it away from the bank account mm-hmm. every time they demonstrate not. <laughs> and then, um, and and some people do that. Like i I'd like to think myself as an extremely trusting person. You tell me you're going to do it, then that's great. Uh, but what with that, I learned that I need to trust but verify. Not in a way to catch them out if they didn't do it, but if I can say, here's what we agreed to do. This is we do it, and not um, so much. You know what to do but here's how we think around here and they acted in accordance with those values I trusted them to make the right decisions and filter it through and do what they thought was right for our customers I would go and then verify what they did and that only so that I could go wow that's awesome I can give you more trust yeah and then build on that yeah. so trust but verify to me is actually a process to actually build trust to to reward the trust earned mm. And because also if you trust someone to do it and then you don't follow up with anything, they then all of a sudden think, well, was it really that important?
0: Yeah, true. Because
1: people will pay attention to what you pay attention to. So
0: mm-hmm. You say, this is
1: really critical. I'm going to trust you to get this done. And then you never pay attention to it. Like, how important was it really? Mm. But if I go, hey, talk to me about what you did. How's that thing go? What, you know, what did you learn? What experience you go? OK, um, talk about what you're thinking, blah, blah, blah. We get that. Into, that was amazing. This, you know, did you think about this? Have you thought about that? Hey, next time. And then, by the way, I can trust you more now. Mm, and you've more
0: which goes back to what you've said which is like you know whatever you focus on grows yep right and so often as you've said in the book people frame these values and put them on the wall Mm. and they go there to die yeah (laughs) and in the book you say uh, don't don't put your values on the wall until you've put them in the hearts and minds of your employees yes and I I love that and then you also talk about like include values in every conversation yep I I feel like that is something that that people would potentially struggle with, because it can feel like oh, am I beating a dead horse here? Or but how do you authentically integrate a, a value style conversation into into everything that you do in business? Do you think?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, great question. Um, so firstly, those people have it up on the wall. It's quite what I've seen a an astonishing trend at the moment is a lot of people who have their, their purpose or their values, their visions, and all that being made up are getting them done by branded and branding and marketing companies. Yeah. And then they're getting all these wonderful posters and everything up on the wall, and they're wondering why the team aren't embracing it, mm. because it was a marketing exercise. It's mm. yeah, so hopefully that it sounds really good to the, our consumers, and they love what we do, and living that is the hardest part. But Mm -hmm. if it hasn't, to your point, as what I said in the book, if it's not in the hearts and minds of the people, they're not then going to act in accordance with those values. Mm. You know, so that is the challenge. So the reason why I suggest that you should either start every conversation or bring the values into every conversation you have as a leader is how else are you going to bring them to life in your organization? Mm. So if you're talking about a certain decision or a client and, you know, to help that person think about what types of clients we should have, you know, one of the things, so, Even in my organization, one of our core values is simplicity. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, right? Which means freedom from complexity. Right. So when we look at anything we do for our clients, or process, or strategic partners, maybe we work with, or anything like that, we go, "Hang on. Can we free the complexity? Is there complexity here? Yes or no? How can we simplify this? uh, You know, free it up from any of these complex processes?" Uh, And so we're we're talking about anything we do, and it might be, you know, what this is as simple as it's going to be anyway. Okay, great. Well, let's run with that. But we've at least challenged it in line with the unique thinking of our organization mm-hmm. and and when i talk about values of people there's so many things that you could value but your core values or the unique thinking of your organization that every decision has to go through there's things that will put some decisions through in that but these four six whatever it might be are the things that every single decision must go through mm. so if you're not bringing them up in the conversations how are we going to start helping the team to start making decisions based on that thinking
0: I 100% agree, and I've been in so many businesses right, where I feel like uh, the opposite has occurred because oh, you're, you're talking about the, yeah. the leadership crisis that's going mm. on at the moment. I feel like every, nearly every um, sort of business that I've been involved with has had chronic leadership problems at some level. Uh, there, there's been an erosion of the culture because every experience that you have or everything that leads counter to what you value as a person or what the company says that they value is, go- is going to erode that culture, right? Absolutely. And so it, 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 it is a kind of breaking of that trust, so to speak. It's like, I thought we said that we believe in this, but this decision really doesn't say that we believe in this. It says that we do the opposite, really, doesn't it? So. Oh, uh,
1: without a doubt, me, I just put a post up on LinkedIn recently, and uh, it was uh, you know with the Royal Commission going on right now in Australia mm-hmm. about the banking and finance sector, and it was done by an independent, con- large one of the top four consulting firms, and in their interim report of the Royal Commission, they said culture and governance were shaped by the primacy of profit and shareholder returns over good customer outcomes. Yet <laughs> if you looked at the organizations and what they said they valued, mm. it would say they valued this, these things which were in relation to the customer, their purpose was all aligned to the customer. But the actual report shows that culture and governance were shaped by the primacy of profit first. So they're saying one thing, but they're not doing it. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of, you know, there's Enron, Volkswagen care and sustainability for the environment was their number two core value. Two, three years ago, they tried to cheat on emission tests test with their vehicles. Yeah. You know, And um, even some of the large financial organizations here, like I say, they're, they're saying, here's the things that we value. But it's just, they're not living and breathing them. And, and this is where going forward, you look at the Gen Z's coming in, Mike, right? And this is where even the millennials to an extent, but the Gen Z's, they won't suffer fools easily. Yeah. Right. They're looking for organizations that are you know, purpose doing, led. It, it purpose-led and doing things. And the beauty of having a very purpose-led organization is it forces you to be honest about why you do what you do. Mm. And then values also then force you to be um, honest about your behaviors in terms of how you're going to fulfill that purpose. And so now this new generation, which may represent about 50% of the workforce or consumer base or there, so potentially your first employees or your customers. And so, as a leader, or your customers' customers, right? Um, they are looking and sniffing for where you're saying this, but you're doing that.
0: Yeah, not only as employees, but also as consumers, right? Massively as consumers. Massively as consumers. We live in the age of glass box brands. Yes. So, if, if people are looking, I mean, inevitably, mm. people are looking in, to, yep. to your business and seeing how you go about doing what you do. That's why the Uber thing was such a crisis. That's why delete Uber became a trending thing because they weren't living up to their values. They weren't, they weren't espousing what their customers wanted them to espouse. Mm. Um, But uh, also in your book, one of my favorite pages on it, And don't get me wrong, there's so much value outside of this, but <laughs> uh, 115 and 117, examples of purpose. Um, you talk, they're, they're, I'll, sh- I'll share just a few. Uh, health score yeah. is one of the, the great case studies that you do in the book that mm. has their purpose, which is to save lives ahead of time. Um, glass Co. WA, inspiring design for a brighter future with glass. Uh, Virgin Atlantic, one of my other favorite ones, embrace the human spirit and let it fly. Because everybody knows Virgin Atlantic, that's an, a, a really nice one to kind of just to be able to jump on. It, mm. it feels like something that Richard Branson ticked off. It's so elegant and uh, practical magic, right? Yeah. This is what yeah. we talked about when we were doing Purpose, practical magic. Yep. It needs to be practical, but it also needs to be magical. <laughs> and embracing the human spirit and letting it fly seems to fit Virgin so well because they were the first in so many instances in airlines where they did things differently around the this idea of the human spirit it's mm. like we're not treating you like a number we're not treating you like a passenger we're treating you like a human spirit yeah and, and then we're letting you fly anywhere else, anywhere in the yeah. world
1: yeah absolutely and that is such a cool thing when you when you really break down some of those purpose statements you see what's you know what's really being said there and you and think you've captured that really well is you know it's not about passengers they don't treat their customers or their people like passengers mm. like we exist to help people explore the world, Mm. you know, and and, and fulfill all, you know, the human spirit to to, to desire to see other places, other cultures. Right. And so they embraced that and let it fly. And which Mm -hmm. is, you know, play on words to a little extent, but to let it fly and and, and let you fly and let, but it's really that all human beings, depending on your spiritual beliefs, is that, you know, we have that human spirit as they're talking about Mm. and let it explore the world, your world, whatever your world is once again. Right. But like to that, when you, like that is so, so in tune with actually why they do what they do. How they do it right now is with airplanes. And what they do is <laughs> they put you in a seat in a plane, and da-da-da-da, and they give you cocktails or whatever, or you go no frills. And, you, mm-hmm. and that will change going forward. You know, once again, it'll be the, the big spaceship that'll fly
0: around <laughs> out of the ozone layer. And but why, it will still be for that reason. So my this is this is my uh, challenge to you. Probably the biggest challenge that we'll have today. Okay. Um, is I I want to know from you in that yeah. specific instance because I do believe in this and I think that yeah. it's great. But one of the things that you say in the book is that everybody in the business should be connected to the purpose. Yes. And everybody should be engaged in the purpose at some yes. level. That should sit mm. at the center of every table. We'll talk about cool uh, yeah. places to work in a second. But, yeah. My question to you is, what are some examples of the ways that specific job roles can track that they're on purpose? And we'll use Virgin Atlantic okay. again as an example, because it's an easy one. Uh, if I am dealing with, if I'm a baggage handler, great. Yep. how do I know that I'm on purpose? If I'm an accountant for Virgin, how do I know that I'm on that purpose of, uh, let's read it again, embracing the human spirit and letting it fly?
1: Great. Okay. So you're the baggage handler. Yeah. So Mike, you're the baggage handler here. Um, so talk to me about your role. What is it that you do?
0: Well, I make sure that everybody's uh, bags are on the flight, yep. uh, that they get onto the right flight, and that they arrive, and that they're out in a relatively quick amount of time.
1: And why is that so important?
0: Uh, well, because if people don't have their baggage when they arrive, they're going to be pretty miserable, and then they have to sort of wait around and go through, a, jump through a whole lot of hoops so they might not enjoy the holidays much.
1: Okay, and then how does that relate to actually letting the human spirit fly if we're... Making it a bad experience,
0: yeah, so they're, they're not going to feel like they're flying, they're going to feel like they're grounded,
1: yeah, so the, so do you see how important your your actual role is one of the most important, mm. if not the most important, because the one thing that will piss people off the most and take away that whole you know and we talk about embracing it and, and that human spirit, the human spirit can be deflated so easily mm. by one little disgruntled customer whose baggage didn't show up yeah. Because they've taken certain things with them as part of that journey, and that can that can be the determining factor as to how their journey starts. Mm. So all of a sudden, you're not moving people's baggage. What you're actually doing is making sure that they are set up for success they and they stay set, in flight. And they stay in flight. <laughs> yes, and that their actual their trip starts before it even starts. Mm. You're already you're the first thing you embrace is all the stuff that that person's taking with them. Are mm. those meaningful possessions whether it even just be clothes and things like that that they're taking or it could be gifts to loved ones that they're taking around the world for them that there is what you're doing you're, they're giving you the prized possessions in life for this spirit to fly that they're flying the spirit mm. with and we need to make sure that it gets to where it needs to go just as much as the airline stewards and the, the check-in people need to make sure the person but their belongings yeah. that are coming on that spiritual <laughs> journey with them <laughs> is equally as important.
0: That's nice. That's really nice. That's really so funny. how
1: would you feel about your job if you realized that that was the significance of it, that you actually, one of the most important roles, because the one thing that pisses people off the most, because even if your flight gets delayed, you still have your baggage, you can still have your shampoo kit, and you can do the, t- you know, as much as that to frustrate you. But when you arrive and your bag doesn't, hmm. That sets people off more than anything else.
0: Well, look, I know that I'm going to be flying, and I'm. Ex- this is funny because I'm going to be flying with Virgin in about a week to go to Melbourne mm. to go to uh, on a little bit of a holiday, going to Pax Gaming Exhibition for nice. three days, which is going to be exciting. And I know that I'm taking with me all of these expectations for what that trip is going to be and what mm. that trip is going to mean, and and what's in my bag is going to play a large part in that. Yeah, you know. And so inevitably i think when you tied it back to it's like don't think of them as bags don't think of lugging around uh, you're lugging around people's expectations for their trip you're lugging around people's dreams for how good this trip is going to be even if that's in a business context it's like i remember taking a trip to melbourne from sydney last year to try and win a big client whether we didn't end up winning but my gosh, the, the level of uh, dreams and, and desires and wants that were on that plane mm. going over there. And I had, you know, um, a, a laptop and some other kind of crucial stuff in, in my luggage at, at that point that if I didn't have it when I got over there would be terrible. All right, now.
1: But anyway, just very quickly on that. So instead of lugging, yeah, you know, caring. Yeah. You're caring for that person's possessions or whatever, they've put them in your care. They don't even know who you are. Hmm. You're this blind, trusted person, Talk about trust, that I'm trusting with my prized possessions that are my gifts or my kids or whatever that is um, that I'm taking with me. So even lugging. Lugging is a, you know, like this, oh, i got to lug this baggage. No. I'm caring for this person's possessions. They've trusted me. Language is incredibly important. Oh, absolutely. Right? So I just want to, like, just the... And then when you're talking to your employees like that or your team or your first customers like that, that changes the way they perceive their job brilliant much more connection
0: very quickly because i know that yep. we only have a limited amount of time talk yep. to me a little bit about cool workplaces
1: cool workplaces ones that are built on the circle of organizational leadership
0: yeah that's right yes C-O-O-L, the circle of organizational leadership
1: yeah, so a lot of organizations uh, still today are built on hierarchies, even though we've got flattened ones and these wonderful mm-hmm. modern... Where we've taken the, the pyramid and we turned it upside down and we're leading with a servant's heart and all that. Um, it's, it's still what one we consider top-down leadership. And this is where, uh, to me, it's what it's built on, what I call an ego system rather than an mm-hmm. ecosystem. Uh, and organizations where... <laughs> Yeah, well, it's just like uh, anything, whether people display ego or not, but it's really built on, I'm the boss, report to me, uh, and I report to you, Mm -hmm. you know, this person, da, da, da. Um, And that's that whole chain of command thing. Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that in any organization going forward, the only thing that a leadership should be in command and control over is the framework, Mm -hmm. not the people.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Which is the purpose, the values, the vision, and maybe the mission of the organization? Mm-hmm. Stay in command and control. Of that we are not faltering from this, mm-hmm. and stay in command and control. That articulate forcefully and clearly on every occasion those things, mm-hmm. but don't be in command and control of the people, mm-hmm. because we need to allow people to be the best versions of themselves. Therefore, we need to allow them to be creative and innovative and try and do things and fail and learn and make mistakes. Just don't make too big ones, um, <laughs> but we need to allow that to happen. But in, in uh, from this hierarchical, even flattened organizations. You know, we have silos or little empires being built, or budgets, and it's like you know, if you're working for the greater good of your department, that could be at the detriment of everybody else. Um, and what we want people to be is working at the greater good of the organization, which is not the shareholders. The greater good of the organization is making our customer lives better, serving our customers to the highest level, anticipating their future needs, and being prepared for that. Mm. So. Uh, for an organization, for that to thrive, and a lot of those hierarchical or flattened, whatever type of structures there, a lot of the power and authority remains at the top, but all the information's at the bottom. Because hmm. they're the one to deal with the customers. But these people deal with the shareholders. Yeah. And so then we get this thing. And what and what happens is what I call organizational dilution, because all the, the values and the purpose are held at the top, and slowly but surely dilutes itself all the way down at the bottom.
0: Yeah, it's so, like the people at the coalface are working in a completely different company from the yeah. people at the top. In a lot oh, absolutely. Senses. Yeah, and because you know, they deal with the realities of the situation.
1: Yep. You know, um, and it's quite funny if you look at redundancies, as we talked about earlier, yeah. roles are being made you know, make people redundant, make roles redundant. Mm-hmm. But the roles that are made redundant are usually held by the people who know what's going on, and they're being made redundant by people who don't have a clue. <laughs> Fascinating concept. But anyway, that's all besides. But if, So what I, I, I think from a, a leadership, whether you, I don't care what you have written on a piece of paper in terms of your org structure, or your chart, or whatever. Mm. But what I propose to organizations is what I call the circle of organizational leadership, where it's a, it's a flatten. And the best way to describe it is like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Mm. They all sit around the table. Um, and in the middle of that table is the customer-centric purpose, mm-hmm. right? So if your purpose doesn't serve your customers, it's not your purpose. And then... Embrace
0: but, the human spirit and let it fly. Yeah, mm-hmm. embrace Embraces. the human spirit and let it fly. That's... And then,
1: uh, then Virgin Atlantic will have a whole set of core values. Mm-hmm. And then surrounding that purpose will be all those core values, right? And then all the leaders will sit around that table. Mm-hmm. And even if Richard Branson bellied up to that table, um, in a cooler circle of organizational leadership, he would take his crown off, much like King Arthur, mm-hmm. and sit at the table as an equal, Yeah. Because when it comes to the purpose and values of our organization, we are all equal to that. And this is where I propose that top-down leadership is a thing of the past, and all-around leadership is the way forward. We all talk about the need to collaborate and be more innovative and and things like that. Well, then what we need to do is allow the best idea to win, not Mm -hmm. the boss's idea. Yeah. So imagine when we're all sitting around this round table, and the customer-centric purpose is in the middle of it all, hence centric, and then (laughs) all our values are surrounding that, And every decision we make is through the values to the purpose of our organization. Right? And then when Sir Richard in Virgin Atlantic sits there, he takes off his crown, he's an equal. Mm-hmm. And that's because for men to feel like men, we need to be treated as equal. Or in this, that's from King Arthur. Mm-hmm. So for the ladies out there, for people to feel like people, mm-hmm. then we need to be, feel like we're equal. Yeah. And imagine an organization where everybody answers to something first, not someone first. Mm-hmm. Whereas that's why an ecosystem is we answer to someone. Mm-hmm. And in an ecosystem, we answer to something
0: Well, it just gives you, it just gives you, it makes a lot of things redundant because it just makes you ask one very simple question. It's like, is what, um, you've got a question in your mind. It's like, oh, should I do this? Am I allowed to do this for a customer? Hmm. Well, does it embrace the human spirit and let it fly in Virgin's case? Yeah. Is is this fulfilling our purpose doing this? And if it's clearly not, well, then you know the answer.
1: That's right. You wouldn't even raise the question because you know in your mind, because you've already been empowered to think at that level. you know or if you're you think, here's the thing I think this is why it would embrace the human spirit let it fly great can we do it thinking with our unique thinking of this 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 and this yes. and it's not so much that um, yeah we have can a framework to bring you yeah which is the, the, the whole values based framework right yeah. to make decisions on and with values in, in that scenario is very important is sometimes things won't necessarily agree with their values and, and like but it doesn't disagree with their values and to me values are like the guides it's does it reject at any of our values. So if you put the Volkswagen example in the middle there, whatever their purpose was, I can't remember but their values. That person who said, hey, let's cheat on the emission test so we can sell more cars, <laughs> that person should have been fired on the spot. Oh, unbelievable. Right? But the fish rots from the head down. So that was, a, that was pervasive culture in the organization that you know, we're going to say that. But really what we're going to do is sell as much money, and make as much money as we can by selling as many cars as we can. And bugger that, we'll just tweak that. And we'll put this little thing in. And we can put this little thing in. And we'll change the emission test. And we'll get away with it until we don't.
0: <laughs> Until we don't. That's it.
1: You know, but that in in the, in the circle of organizational leadership, that should never have hit the table. And if it did, that person would have either um, certainly had a very strong leadership conversation with that person, um, or been fired on the spot for even just totally not sharing the unique thinking of our organization, which is care and sustainability for the environment.
0: Exactly, and that's a brilliant that's a brilliant spot. It's not the perfect spot to leave it because we could do mm. for hours. Mate, we can always isn't? come back and do another one, mate. Absolutely, adding <laughs> a round two is yeah. very much on the cards. But this has been fantastic. It's been a machine gun fire podcast of value. I hope that you've been listening to it and getting a lot out of it. Um, I know I'm extremely grateful to Dave for coming here today and having this chat with us. And I look forward to chatting to him again. Um, If you'd like to know more about Dave, his story, follow his journey, uh, get involved with him at any point in time. Obviously, buying Simplified Leadership is Simple. You lead people is a great idea. Available on Amazon perfect it's yeah. a good one uh and then also what are some other ways that people can stay in touch uh, with? certainly
1: you can certainly just my website which is very simple which is dave d-a-v-e-c-l-a-r-e dot com um and my email is very complicated it's dave at dave com <laughs> uh or the organization uh, that we have which is circle leadership dot global so you can go to circle leadership global and find out more about our organization but you know hey um instagram twitter linkedin uh, I post a lot of content around this sort of stuff up there for free. I'm, I'm firm believer that the primary education should be free to the world. Yes. So uh, I, I virtually you know, a, a lot of stuff that's in the book is already up on there. Um, I'd love you to buy the book, which is all wonderful, um, because it has a lot more tools and things in there for you to apply. But a lot of the content that we talk about in there and on this podcast is available for people free online. So please, I, I, I once again, I just want to create and inspire 90 million purpose-driven leaders and hopefully with you know, your 90,000 or 900,000 followers that you have here on your, this amazing podcast, maybe we've inspired a couple there and I can take a few off the list.
0: I hope so. I hope so. Um, 90,000 would be great. 900,000 would be even better. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Dave. That's That has been... Uh, incredible. I'm inspired. I'm ready to jump into some more work just based off of this great. conversation tonight. Well, I could tick but... you off the list then. <laughs> it's great. And I also just want to say, while uh, we've got you, I just want to do a big, big shout out to another fantastic podcast that we have here in Perth, which is called Startup West. Uh, it's run mm. by a, a guest of the pod, of, of the network, Charlie Gunningham, uh, who is an amazing guy. Really interesting. Check out the episode that I did with him. And then go check out Startup West, which is doing some amazing interviews with some other business leaders in Perth as well. Until next time, ciao for now. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Do your best work. Absolutely. All right. See you guys. Bye.